This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Tell me what's really going on. Spooko back up in and then I've forgotten this bit. What's happening in? Like, I feel like Take Care is, like, overrated. But I also feel like Thank Me Later got underrated, Shag. Like, the guest list on it is wild. I think it's the last song Jeezy ever made that anyone ever cared about. And just the start of Miss Me, just the tell me. I'm just, I'm not sure there's a better song. Have you played it while DJing? Is it insane? <laughs> the only song I, well, the only two songs I play from Thank Me Later are Fancy, but not the all of Fancy, because Fancy's like 10 minutes long. Ugh. You're always like, are you fancy, huh? And you're like, what a great <laughs> song. And then it just keeps going. It just, it doesn't stop. And then that other song on it that Kanye produced. The, Is that the best I ever had? No, no. I want to find your love in... Better find yeah. It sounds like because it, it was it was from the 808s and Heartbreak era, so yeah, okay. it was that sort of like cold machine like production. It's like this is so weird though, Peach. Fuck, like we are so in sync because. Okay, so I really wanted to start mm. by talking about how sometimes there's this amazing harmony that happens in the world where the thing that everybody loves yes. is also a perfect thing. Doesn't happen yes. often, right? Like, yep. we know that popularity and quality, that Venn diagram, those circles are almost entirely apart. Yep. But every now and then it hits. Yep. And I think all two minutes and 40 seconds of Drake started from the bottom is one of the most perfect pieces of art of all time. Oh, it's so funny. It's, like, certainly one of the most influential. Like, and, and, and sorry, just by way of background, I'm really pleased that we got to just put it on the record. Nothing was the same. Drake's best album and better than Take Care. I think we're, like, I think we're there. It's unbeatable. And... Look, Anthony Fantano, who I presume you don't respect or get into at all, um, who's sort of become a, like, inflammatory music reviewer, who's like, this is like, like the A.A. Gill of music reviewing, but actually knowledgeable and not a fucking idiot. But it just doesn't love Drake. And so you go back and he's like, nothing was the same, gets like a week six and, you know, um, take care, gets like a, a strong four out of ten and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um there's an element where I think it's just easy to forget that Nothing Was The Same is one of the best albums ever. But Shag, I had an agenda today. There was something I wanted to get to. Okay, all right. Well, we'll come back to my point. Peach, what are we talking about? You've previously made the point in this podcast that, I like, oh, yeah, sex and death, like, super connected. And this is why there's often this male gaze element to horror films. And I just was going to press you to expand on the because I've been like trying to be like, oh yeah, sex and death, they're not quite as similar as as that expression. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't quite. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, sex and death, all right. And I was just wondering if you'd just be happy to happy to take us behind the curtain just for a further look at sex and death comparison. Are they both about existence? <laughs> I, I I mean, look, like, I think that's very surface level. I think. Most of our lives mm. are spent pretending like we're not going to die. 
Most of our lives are like, hey, well, I'll live forever. Like, I'm sure you've actually said in this podcast, I'm going to live forever. I'm, live forever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Most you did. <laughs> it was the end of the 100th episode. It's because that Delta song was so huge. Uh, just, yeah. that, just that Mark Bate It was the best. Yeah. So I think any experience we have mm. that's really primal and reminds us of our animal nature reminds us of the fact that we're going to die. But look, and there aren't too many of those experiences anymore. And like sex is just a weird grunty thing that people do where you're like, oh, wow, we are just animals. But having a glass of water or having a slice of pizza or, or something like that. Uh... Like there's a few things in the world that are like that. I think going for a sw- go like, and this is a very Australianism, but mm. going for a swim in the ocean yeah. when there aren't too many people around, when it's like a, you know, a brisk morning, the mm. water's really cold and you're just reminded that you're just this small thing in your giant ecosystem, I think is one of those moments. Yeah, okay. I think entirely, like, uh, and, and, like, God, like, fuck. Like, the the, the breadth of sexual experience is so vast, but mm. that connection with somebody else on a very sort of animalistic level is is one of those moments. And as I imagine getting... You know, I've said before that I'm so ready to die. <laughs> so ready to and die. as I imagine it is when you're like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to die now. Well, like, it reminds me of the Nas line that's like, I never sleep because sleep is the cousin of death. And it's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I said that. It's like, Nas, that doesn't, like, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it's like, you do sleep. And also, sleep. sleep... Like, sleeping is the opposite of death. Like, you sleep so your body can recharge, whereas, like, you die because your body can't recharge anymore. Look, you know, if we're going back to, you know, going back over rap record history, I'm just not sure Illmatic is that good, <laughs> It's fairly boring. It's really boring. I mean, boring. I could also say closing my eyes is the cousin of sleep, or, like... <laughs> Dreaming about things is the cousin of sleep. I don't know. What else is the cousin? They they all are. Well, look, I'm not going to requote the Lil going Wayne line. Going shopping is the cousin of sleep. I don't know. Sorry. Go. Buying a new pair of those plastic Birkenstocks is um is the cousin of death. It's going to be good. <laughs> going full gorpcore is the cousin of death. But yeah, like I just sort of wanted to wanted to get in there and try to and try to tease apart how horror films do it because I feel like we got reasonably close to that last week. And the other tragedy is that I looked back over Fussy Eater recently that I listened to on Two and a Half Speed. That's our previous podcast that we that we mentioned on here. And listening to Fussy Eater Two and a Half Speed, you can really crank through it pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> There's only seven episodes. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think I'm ever going to get a sous vide, Shag. So in Fussy Eater, I expressed a desire that maybe I'd get a sous vide. I feel like if I was ever going to get one, it would have been during lockdown. You know, it would have been like, yeah, what am I going to cook? When am I going to do it? And so... I think, you know, on the sex and death, death topic, as, as I stare down the barrel of only another few decades on this, uh, on this rock that spins through the universe, I don't think I'm ever going to own a sous vide and I just have to make peace with that. And look, it's, there's a small tragedy to it, but also a glory because I'll have time to do other stuff other than using my sous vide. I love how sort of philosophical and existential this episode already is. And it's so fitting for the film we're going to do today. Mm. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring up Drake is mm. because, like I said, sometimes the thing the whole world loves is amazing and yes. it's a perfect harmonious moment. And I, I feel that when I listen to Starter from the Bottom. Yes. I didn't feel that when I listened to the show that is fast becoming Netflix's most popular show of all time. Uh, it hit number one in 90 different countries. Also crazy how the reach of 91. Netflix. 91, yeah, okay. It's not the film we're doing today because, honestly, 
it's about as obvious as the platform. It's a show called Squid Game. Peach, have you heard of Squid Game? Uh, I've only heard of it peripherally through the meme of someone having what looks like the old PlayStation controller um, shapes on a card and being like, oh, Squid Game's popular, you guys. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> seems like a pretty popular thing. Congratulations. So like I said before, Netflix kind of loves horror and horror-adjacent stories mm. when they're super obvious. The platform didn't really hide its <laughs> metaphor too well. It was pretty clear what it was trying to say. Mm. In the same way, Squid Game, Peach, you know, and I'm going to spoil this yeah, for you because this is a spoiler. I can't wait. I've been, in fact, I'm delighted we're spoiling Squid Game. This is really exciting. It's nine one-hour episodes, Peach. My God. Like, imagine devoting your time to oh, a show God. about there's a bunch of people a- across Korea who are all in debt and can't really repay their money, and so they're given a chance to win heaps of money in a game, Mm. but they might die if they lose the games, and at the end there's only one person left who wins all the money, and it was run by a whole bunch of rich people who got really bored and were like, what if we did this? This would be a fun thing to bet on. Oh, is that like is that That's it? literally it. So That's it's Van Damme's it. hard target just set in Korea. <laughs> oh god. But all the games are like they play like red light, green light, but if you move when the person turns around you get shot. Or they play like it's basically like, you know, lethal hide and seek. It's uh, like, what if we made hide and seek? But if we found you, we killed you. I feel like that's the most tried and obvious idea <laughs> that there's ever been. What if we take something safe and make it not quite as safe? But but the mm. one good thing, the one good thing about Squid Game being so popular is mm. number one, it's very anti-capitalist. So good. yay, like yep, yep, we're I'm one step it. closer to our heads on pikes. Nice. Number two, it is like I said before, it's horror adjacent. And if the most popular show in the world is going to get people into horror, I don't mind. Yep. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to focus on an amazing Korean horror film from 2016 that a number of people have told me to watch. And I'm sorry if I can't remember. There's been a few people in the mentions. There's Mm. been a few people in my life who've been like, you've got to see this film. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go see this film and I'm going to go talk about it on Spooko because I think post Squid Game, if you want an amazing Korean horror that's actually going to make you think about things like death, which is a major theme of this film, you're going to fucking love it. Today, Peach, we are doing a film from 2016, as I said before, a Korean horror film called The Wailing. Sounds sick, sounds sick. Can't wait. Um, wailing is in people sort of crying out in pain <laughs> yes. or is in hunting yes. sea mammals? Yeah, like the way, if it was The Wailing in terms of hunting sea mammals, I'd be like, oh, that's an okay name for a horror film. The Wailing in terms of wailing? My God, what a name for a horror film already. Sick, sick. You've got some homework just, just, just while I'm there. The most popular TikTok trend at the moment... Um, might have a response to your Squid Game element, right? It's firstly, there's this dude who finds his dryer that is making this really, really cool beat. Then there's this double bassist who comes and duets with it. And then rappers are rapping over it. Have you heard this yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I rapped on it today. I'll just play you the beat. So there's the dryer. That's an example. Oh, this, like, this is me on it. Like I just. Yeah. And you know that we're quite gifted. Walking around in the morning. 
doesn't like my bit doesn't matter on it. But the point is, I feel like it's a, a rare moment where the most popular thing on the most popular app in the universe is actually pretty cool. It's someone's dryer doing a beat and someone doing an amazing double bass riff into it. Um, the wailing. The wailing. I'll step out. I'll step back. I'll be just a sec. Now, Shag. Shag? Yeah. Hang on, wrong here. Shag, Shag, yeah. Shag. One, 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 have I got you? Yeah, you can, I, can you hear me? Yeah, can, um, can you just do a quick favor? Um, can you just reach under your desk for me? You recording? Yeah, I am. Yeah, you should find a bag down there. Can you just um, reach into that bag, see if there's a brown package in there? Oh, my fucking God. Do you want to tell us what's in there? Uh, okay, so first of all, there's two ice-cold Spookos in stubby holders that have Spooko on it that say, Happy 40th, Shag. I'm turning 40 on Monday, although I, I don't know when this episode comes out, so I think I would have already turned 40. Uh, it says CD before 40. Peach? Holy crap! And I haven't even opened the brown paper bag. Let's just cheers, cheers this. Ugh. Cheers. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, oh. Oh, yum. So there's, Rich, there's a, what is up? Anything else in there? Oh my god, there is. Holy shit. Oh, fuck off. Oh, sick. How good is that? What is it? Okay, so all right, okay, so I've got a Spooko sweatshirt. Uh, we got our logo on the front. Oh, Peach. Happy Holy birthday, Gooey. Happy birthday. Peach, my God, are you kidding me? Yeah, we just thought like that you should have a bit of a treat for um for your birthday. We just thought it'd be a bit fun. Uh and we've just got a couple of other people uh, <laughs> oh, in here who yeah. we're gonna say hello to. Happy birthday! Thank you. Holy crap! I was taking my head, headphones, so um, uh, we should just go around the room. Shag, this is your surprise fortieth birthday on a Spooko episode. Yeah. Uh, we've got <laughs> we've got Nick Visser, we've got Alex Grigg, we've got Adele Cutbush, we've got the Doctor Alice Dunn. Um, and we also have these we amazing. We thought we'd just do a quick mini Spooko from everyone because I don't have a headset. I might pass around to you more comfortable people who, who who know what's going on let's throw nick under the bus straight away nick have you got a queued up story of a horror film moment you've shared with shag i don't have a specific horror film moment that i've shared with shag aside from always being perpetually surprised when i see something on a horror movie that seems completely violent and disturbing and vicious <laughs> and tom's reaction is always no big deal <laughs> bloodier could have been more demonic <laughs> and I'm covering my eyes and my ears uh, and very different hoodies. So that's my kind of overarching, um, yeah, moment. Okay, someone else. Sorry, I've only got vision. I don't, I don't have audio. Oh, no, my, 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 my memory of Shag and horror movies sort of ties into a bit with that as well in that, like, I think me and Shag, because like you, Petri, we've sort of known each other for 
a really long time. And we sort of, I guess when we were teenagers, it was sort of the explosion of like that sort of mid nineties wave of like teen slasher movies. So I definitely feel like we spent some time. We spent a lot of time at Macquarie Center because we weren't cool enough to get invited to parties as teenagers. <laughs> but we watched, uh, I remember, we definitely saw, um, I know what you did last summer together. But then the memory that, enjoying memory I have of Tom with horror movies is I remember we watched Scream at my house. The song like, you know, DVD or video VHS probably at that time. And I remember Shag, we lived about maybe a 10 minute walk apart from each other. But I remember after the movie, Shag was like, nah, I'm going to just like walk home. And I was like, oh my God, like, it was like you know, like 1am in the morning. And I was like sitting in my house terrified. And Tom was like, no way, man. No, nothing's going to get me. I'm going to walk home. And I was so like, he's so tough. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it speaks to how big the nerds we were, but yeah. That's my memory of, of Shag. Movies. so that i can give images <laughs> talk about prime planning um so oi, oi, relax. i did the planning and i expected al to be on a different device <laughs> i was expecting we'd both have headsets oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. maybe my bad sorry um so i have never seen a horror movie with shag in his mind, I'm sure, but in my mind, I saw a horror movie with you where I spent most of the movie like this. La, la, la. Oh my God, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hands over my ears, singing loudly to myself because it's so awful. It was training day. Yeah, which... it was Denzel Washington's training day. <laughs> it's horrible. It was so violent and so like tense and awful. And Portrait, I think I completely ruined the whole movie experience for you. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> And have never lived it down. Um, and we were like 22 or something at the time. So happy 40th. <laughs> My memories are sort of collective memories because I think the thing is I'm usually sitting next to you when we're watching horror movies and we've done a lot of watching of horror movies over the last few years. Um, some standouts were in Egan Street when we, earlier on, when we first became romantically linked. Hey. And we... <laughs> hey. I think it was the conjuring. Sex and death. And... We were talking about it earlier. <laughs> I think it was the conjuring where they go down into the basement and then the lady, the old sort of witch lady, like claps over the top of the person's shoulder. And it's just such a jump scare. And I just remember screaming with you, like we're both actually just like <laughs> for a very long time. And then some other super fond memories are going to the cinemas with our friends um, and one of them falling asleep in Suspiria and then just looking over to you and then pissing ourselves laughing because who falls asleep in Suspiria? And then another Suspiria dear friend... Suspiria does seem fucking boring. <laughs> it's really long. It is really long. And then another dear friend kind of scream, laugh, crying during us and then once again just glancing over to you being like, hmm. <laughs> but yeah. But Googs, happy birthday. Nice. We're all... Thank you. Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Love you. Love you. Enjoy your terrifying films. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. Love you. Love you. 그놈이랑 뭔 연관이 있는 거요? 싹다그 양반이 오거나 생긴 일들 아니요. 여기다 뭔 일이 다녀 그래? 여기서 다 죽어버렸어.
한번 Not be tempted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. The Wailing. All right. So, first of all, I said before it's got a great title. Mm. And the thing is, in Korean, the title's even better. So, in Korean, the title is uh, Gokseong, which is the name of a village where the director Na Hong Jin grew up near and spent mm. some time in as a kid. And that name in Korean also has a sort of like like the word has a sort of double meaning that kind of means like to wail or to sort of cry out. So in Korean, the name's even better because it's about a town, but it's also about like that feeling of wailing and grief and in anguish, right? Like, oh, it's just, it's so spicy. Now, this film is really hard to decipher, which is why I've already given you so much uh, detail about it beforehand. So, you know, it's about death. Uh, it came from the director Na Hong Jin experiencing a bunch of people in his life die from non-natural causes at a similar time and not being able to process it and being like, why the fuck did it have to happen to people I know? Mm. Like, why did this happen? He went and spoke to a couple of different religious leaders from, you know, Western religions to Korean sort of folk traditions. And that was the beginning of this film. So this film... That's such a natural response. Like, I have a family member who's who's suffering a terminal illness who may not see the year out. And my first thought, I was like, oh, man... So many people I like less than this person who I'd happily swap the illness out of the per- out of this person for someone else. It was just my very natural trade of like, well, someone's going to have it. You know, I wish it were not this person. And and it makes sense, right? And like to your to your point about like the sex and death. Uh, I, I mean, look, there's not much sex in this film, luckily. <laughs> but the, the death death is all around this film. This mm. film is very much about that reaction to death and what really the answers are, but wrapped up in the most amazing supernatural story. Okay, so The Wailing 2016, it starts with a shot of a man fishing on a beautiful river near Gokseong, the village, and he, you see him like very grubbly and very like viscerally, lots of like sound effects of him putting a worm, like, you know, threading it on the bait. Okay. That's the very first image you see in this film. There's also a Bible passage. So I think Boo. there's a moment, like we went to it, like I know a lot of people did go to religious schools growing up. You know, we went to a Christian high school, so we heard a lot of Bible passages. And it's funny how supernatural a lot of the Bible is, like, Jesus does die and then come back to life. And there are passages where his disciples are like, you were dead. And he's like, I'm not a ghost because you can touch me, see? And like, so there's some passage that's basically like, if I was a ghost, I wouldn't be flesh and blood and you can touch me. Some sort of passage. So so we've seen a man fishing and we've seen this part of the Bible where Jesus comes back to life. That's the start of this film, Hmm. The Wailing. I get it. Like, But it does remind me of that. I think it was a Sydney punk band in the mid-90s called Give Christ Back to the Martians that was, you know, just a <laughs> deliberately, like, very 17 years old name for a band. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, what's interesting about this is is that it's not even a, like, let's pay out religion film because Na Hong Jin is a devout Christian. Cool. So there's there's all of these things that that are already like you know in the blood of this film and it's barely begun all right 
So another thing that's really worth pointing out, and mm. I don't think it'll come out in this Wikipedia synopsis. We have started the film, though. Like, is this <laughs> We've started the film, but there's so much. So, mm. okay, number one. So is, this film is really long. Now, I know Ooh. I upset some people last week by saying movies are boring. A lot of movies are boring. But beyond that, movies ask a lot of your time. Oof. It is a huge commitment of time. It's a huge commitment. And, like, time is the only currency that's valuable, including crypto. Like, (laughs) currency. (laughs) Time is the currency, right? Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk would have such a such a trouble process. He's like, I love crypto, I love time. Oh, fuck. <laughs> which is which is actually more valuable. So this film is 156 <laughs> minutes long. Oh god. Peach, you're also a parent. We had to watch this over two nights. How would you watch how would anyone watch your hundred watch a two and a half hour film? You know like Casino was like three hours long? <laughs> And I would have watched it like five or ten times for for uni to study it. It just feels like it just is completely bizarre. I feel like that that sentence doesn't make sense. What's that fabulous line of I, I would have written you a longer letter. Sorry, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time. Yeah. And I feel like it's so true. And Shag, you must get this in a creative field that your first completed draft is just a monstrous, it's huge. You know, and it's a four-hour-long film, and you need to get down to your seventy-six minutes, as we learned. Exactly. I mean, yeah, as as we learned from Slumber Party mm. Massacre. All right. So, so with all of that in mind, mm. the first half of this film. So the mm. second part, the second point I wanted to raise, the first half of this incredibly long. It's basically two films. Is like a bumbling comedy, and what I think is kind of amazing about this film is what if you made the protagonist of a supernatural horror film a bumbling lovable idiot who's not really much of a hero and is not really good at things so what if you start a film by being like oh what a lovable idiot he can't really do anything and then in the second half just be like dread horror oh my god oh my god sort of thing like that tonal shift is unbelievable and it kind of makes the length worthwhile because the last half hour of this film even though i didn't really understand it i haven't been that tense in a film in a long time. Is this similar to Audition, that sort of the first 30 minutes is sort of like a slightly ugly romantic comedy, just like a hint of uncoolness, but basically it's fine? Like 100%. And look, I, I look, I don't know if there are that many, if there are heaps of parallels between Japanese and Korean horror, but definitely one of them in being able to mix genres mm. like really well in a way that feels effortless is one of them. Okay, so we've had that scene, we've had that Bible verse. What sets up this film is there's a, there's a Japanese man, he arrives at Gokseong, which is a small village mm. in the mountains of South Korea. Now, after he arrives, a mysterious infection breaks out and causes the villagers to become deranged and violently kill their families. So what kind of happens is they start to go a bit crazy, mm. then all of a sudden their skin breaks out in all these disgusting boils, then they basically grab the nearest sharp instrument and just kill their family, and then eventually they sort of, the, the, the rash overtakes them, and then they die horrifically in a contorted sort of mess, like vomiting blood. <sighs> okay. <laughs> this is the bumbling comedy half of the film, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is the slapstick part of the <laughs> this is this is Tucker and Dale. They would be having a great time around here. But the officer who is investigating it is a guy called Jong-Goo, who is just a bit of an idiot. 
He's got a daughter who's a bit like, lol, dad, you don't know what's going on. He's got maybe a wife or a stepwife or something, some sort of weird relationship uh, with one of the women that lives at his house. He's got a, a, a mum who believes in, you know, ancient spirits and stuff and also doesn't really think all that highly of him. And nobody really sees him as like his boss up, like his the, the the manager at his station doesn't think he's a very good police person. And he just seems like your typical small town policeman who stumbled their way into their job, are there because there really isn't that much to do as a policeman in a small town mm. until an evil curse descends upon the village and starts <laughs> making people kill each other. So one night at the police station, officers Jong-gu and then his partner Oh Seong-bok are discussing the Japanese stranger. Now, this is another point, right? So there's an interesting take on this where like they're a small town and they're all like a little bit racist about this uh, Japanese person who's joined the town. They, they never find out his name. They're just like the Japanese person. Well, don't trust this person. And then as soon as there becomes this weird sort of disease that goes around, this weird infection, everybody's like, oh, it must be the Japanese guy. It's clearly the Japanese guy who's moved to this town. I'm going to be really irritated by the lack of explanation in this film, aren't I? Peach, you're going to... You're going to have questions at the end of this. Oh, God, okay. Yeah, like, I'm like, well, so who is the Japanese? Like, what is... The- yeah, okay. Okay. So- How many minutes in are we of the 156? <laughs> Probably about 14. <laughs> So they're at this police station discussing this stranger when the lights go out and they notice a naked woman appear at the door and they both freak out and they hide under their seats. And it's a very comedic scene where they're policemen, but a scary naked woman appears at the door and they both hide under their seats. And they're like, you go check it out. No, you go check it out. And when they finally do, she's disappeared. They later discover the woman infected has murdered her family as well, as is happening with this infection. At the crime scene, Jonggu meets a mysterious young woman called Mu Myong, which means no name in Korean, who tells him the Japanese man is a ghost and the culprit. So Jonggu steps outside to call Oh Seong Bok to be like, hey, we've got a witness. This woman apparently saw this thing. She reckons it was the Japanese guy. But when he tries to find her again, she's vanished. A local hunter tells them that he saw the stranger with glowing red eyes eating raw venison in the forest. This this doesn't sound too goofy shit. Like, I'm trying to insert a goofy tone into this. I know, this is Wikipedia, but it is really goofy. Like, okay. they hid under their desk when something scary happened yeah. at the station. Yeah, okay. I'm trying that to put, was pretty like, goofy. Adam Sandler, Sandler and Paul Cart Mallblart or whatever his name is in here to try to... <laughs> Try to make it work in my head. <laughs> so Jonggu starts having dreams about the stranger, you know, sort of eating eating a raw deer in the forest, then seeing him being basically naked from the waist up and then walking towards him with glowing red eyes. And it's freaking him out. So they enlist the help of Oh Seong Bok's nephew, who's a Japanese-speaking deacon named Young Isam. So he's, he's, he's like a priest in training, but he also speaks Japanese. So they decide to go to the stranger's house because everybody's like, oh, it's a curse, we better call the shaman. And John Goo's basically like, I'd rather speak to a priest first, which is interesting because there's a real mixture of Christianity and Korean folk religion in this film. Okay. Do all Korean names have three syllables in this film? Like, I feel like that's a stereotype that this film is not. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, look, I, like, I mean, look, maybe it is a stereotype, but this is this is a Korean film through and through. This is 
there is no pandering to Western audiences, cool. right down to the fact that, you know, I've spoken to a few people after seeing this today who've said that speaking Korean and knowing Korean culture changes entirely the way you watch this film. So Sick. it is really interesting seeing this film as an outsider and still being like incredibly intrigued. It okay. vastly adds to its appeal for me as well. I like feel like you're in with the in crowd. I'm like, eh, have you seen The Wailing? <laughs> Just know that's not an accurate translation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they investigate the stranger's house when he's out and find pictures of the murdered villagers and their belongings as well as a worship room. So he's got yeah, this crazy cool, room cool, cool, with, cool. like, pictures all over the thing, including pictures of them after they've been killed, mm. candles lit everywhere, uh, just weird sort of, like, like culty sort of things. Yeah, I'm about it. Uh, meanwhile, the stranger's got a guard dog and it attacks them but stops when the stranger returns. Jongu and his team leave. They're basically sort of like the strangers basically like holding the guard dog and they just sort of leave sheepishly to be like, it's probably illegal for us to like break into your cabin. So we're just going to get out of here. On the way back, Oh Seong Bok shows Jonggu a shoe that belongs to Jonggu's daughter. Now, remember, Jonggu has the daughter that's like, yep. lol, dad. Now, they found a shoe at the Japanese man's cabin of oh, her, Hyojin. Oh, no. Yeah, okay, fine. He goes back to be like, what the fuck's happened? And realized that Hojin has started to grow sick with symptoms similar to those of the other infected. No. Now, I need to give a warning that a kid is a victim in this film. So you probably need to know that. It's pretty, like, this is where, like, the film, like I told you, like, it's it's a fun, goofy world. This is about death. This is a, and it's like, no, 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 this is a pretty heavy film. So, <sighs> Remember the nice party we were at, like, 15 minutes ago? <laughs> <laughs> so, Remember your nice so, new jumper and the stubby hole <laughs> That was nice. <laughs> like, like I, I do feel like this gets to the heart of horror films of, like, just, like, oh, I love horror films. They make me feel bad. And it's like... Yeah, like that's what they do. <laughs> Peach, I'm so sorry. I, I think even going through this Wikipedia synopsis, it's well written enough that you're going to feel really bad oh, at the end of this. I'm so sorry. I'm getting another rush. <laughs> oh, hey, Shag, can you answer me true just while I'm doing this? Do you really think I'd be sorted into Slytherin or do you think I'd go to Hufflepuff? In your heart of hearts. Because I actually, in my heart of hearts, I think it's Hufflepuff. I think I talk a big <laughs> Slytherin game. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'd go into Slytherin, that's fine. And I think I'd be like, no, actually, probably Hufflepuff. I, th- I, I don't think Hufflepuff. Like, I think you're too focused to be in Hufflepuff. I feel like, I feel like you'd be like a weird, like, I feel like that the hat would have a problem like it did with Harry and obviously like trans rights, like screw you, uh, JR. Yeah. But I, I think the hat would have a hard time sorting you between Slytherin or Gryffindor in that oh, what? you're very good at being focused on a thing. So I think you'd be a great bad guy because you'd be able to be like, ends justify the means. I'm just going to like be ruthless and get the thing I want. Mm. But at the same time, I think you do like, I do, I do think you fight for what's right. And I always had myself as sort of a slughorn kind of a character. Like <laughs> I've, I've collected a network of connections I've uh, I've I've got to the point where I can't really remember any of the periphery characters. You'd be in, in Ravenclaw or Gryffindor, Shag. I think one of the two. <laughs> uh, okay, so 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 mm. so, so, so. Th- they ah, return. Jongu returns to the stranger's house, 
but finds all the evidence of, you know, the, the photos of people who have been burned. Infuriated, he smashes up the worship room, kills the guard dog, and orders the stranger to leave the village. He's like, you've got three days to leave the village. Like, you are clearly behind this thing. I don't know what's going on. What power does he have to issue that order? Well, he's a policeman, and he's, like, in a scary way. He's, he doesn't he doesn't really use any laws. He's basically like, Get I'll come back and yeah. beat you up the same way I beat up your worship room. So, Jongu's family then discovers the bloody body of a dead goat, a dead black goat, you know, very, you know, uh, satanic imagery, hanging yeah. in front of their front gate the next day. That's cool. And while they go... Now, now keep in mind, Jongu got really injured fighting the dog, the guard dog. Mm. And so, they've gone into town with to get some acupuncture and, like, you know, get him feeling better. He's like, hang on, where's Hyo Jim? Where's my daughter? Mm. They're like, we left her with a neighbor. Uh, and he's like, we can't do that. They rush back and they find that Hyo Jin has stabbed and seriously injured the neighbor who was looking after her. Distraught about Hyo Jin's now violent behavior and change in health, Jonggu's mother-in-law seeks help from a shaman, Il Gwang. So there's this indication that when things like this happen in the village, they always go to Ilguang. He's the sharp dressed, super cool shaman. Like he's really uh, young. Yeah, okay. He wears super cool clothes, but he's the shaman that can help get rid of these wicked spirits. Do we find him to be a bit slimy or, or mm. how do we find him? We think like, I think they set him up to be like, he's a fake. He's a phony. Yeah, okay. This is all for show. So Ilguang says a wicked spirit has possessed Hyo Jin. Uh, tries to do an exorcism, but it fails. After learning Jong-Gu disturbed the stranger, who he says is a demon, Il-Gwang prepares a death hex ritual and tells Jong-Gu he must not be interrupted. So there's then this scene, and this scene, like, I think this film is great and worth its runtime, but there's a 20-minute scene. <laughs> like, I'm not, I think it's actually 20 minutes where there's three things happening at once. So there's Ilguang doing this shamanistic ritual. Mm. There's the stranger doing a secret ritual in his own room. And then there's uh, Jong-Gu and the mom looking after Hyojin in their room. And all of these three things seem to be working together. So at home, the stranger performs a ritual at the same time to seemingly possess the body of one of the dead victims, Park Chun Bay. Sorry, there are a lot of names in this film. Mm. And um, all of them have three syllables. As you've and all of before. them have three syllables. Hyo Jin experiences excruciating pain as Il Gwang's ritual progresses. And it, my God, like I said, it goes, it just keeps going. You're like, oh, oh there's another. Okay, yeah. And it's all really well shot. Like, I'm enjoying it. I'm just like, you could just could have cut this ritual down. So, jo- like, Jonggu stops the ritual and takes his daughter to the hospital instead because she's, like, in pain. She's like, Dad, stop it. I'm hurting. Uh while this is happening, the stranger pulls himself into bed after his own ritual and sees Mu Myong outside his house. Now, when we see the stranger now, mm. he seems really frightened. And he's like, what the fuck is going on? Where am I? Why am I in this yeah, house? Yeah, so he swapped bodies with someone I, we're, we're, okay. we're presuming. Okay. So the following day, Jonggu gathers his companions to hunt down the stranger. Mm-hmm. As they search his house, they are t- attacked by the now reanimated corpse of Park Chun Bay. Remember how it, it seemed like the stranger was trying to possess? So Park Chun Bay is now this zombie who has like superhuman strength. Now this feel this scene's really okay. kind of funny 
because they know this guy from the village. So at first they're like, hey, what's wrong with you? And then he attacks one of them and tries to bite them. And they're like, get off me. And they start hitting him. And then someone pulls that person off and they're like, what are you hitting Park Jun Bay for? He's our friend. And then Park Jun Bay goes to hit them. And they're like, oh, bloody hell. And then it just keeps happening. It's really, it's, it's quite a strange but funny scene. So he injures young Sam, who's the deacon. He basically bites half his face off mm. and gives the stranger time to flee before convulsing and returning back to his dead state. They pursue the stranger but lose him at a cliff. Like this stranger is like running and like it's kind of a full-on scene where it's like mob justice where they're all like, we're just going to beat this guy to death. And this old Japanese man is basically like, why are they chasing me? And there's quite a distressing scene where he's at the bottom of the cliff there at the top and he's hurt himself from a fall and he's like trying to cry out but he can't because it's going to give away his position and you're essentially just mm. watching this old man in pain be pursued by these attackers who and no one really knows what's going on oh god while he's hiding just out of view the stranger sees Mu Myung staring at him from afar as the group drives back down the mountain because they couldn't find the stranger, mm. the stranger's body lands on their windshield covered <clears throat> in blood. Okay. <laughs> they have a moment where they're like, what should we do? But they're like, fuck it. He's the bad guy. Let's kill him. They dump his body off the cliff as Mu Myung from the mountain watches from above with a really sort of like, we can't really know what she's, what she's like thinking, but mm. she's definitely being like, this is a turning point. Okay. At this point... Oh, my God. So, at this point, we cut to Il Guang, remember, who is the shaman. Yes. Who is like, ah, the ant has taken the bait. The ant has taken the bait. Okay. So, he is aware of what's going on somehow. Anyway, so Zhong Gu returns. So, we now no longer think he's slimy. We now now believe in his shamanistic powers. The whole time, we're like, he's fake. And we're like, no, 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 wait, hang on. No, he Mm. knows what's going on. Okay. So, Zhong Gu returns to find Hyo Jin has seemingly improved. Il Guang then drives to Jonggu's where he encounters Mu... So he drives... Okay, so he drives to Jonggu's house, mm. but before he can get in, Mu Myung appears from out of nowhere, from the darkness. Oh, God. And Il Guang just starts vomiting blood. Like, just like... <laughs> like scary... Like the scary movie franchise stuff. Yeah, just no, like blood bleh. all over the ground. And she's basically like, you don't belong here. You've got to get out of here. So Il Guang flees town... But as he's fleeing town, a swarm of locusts starts hitting his windshield and he realizes he has to turn back. So he turns back and he calls Jong-gu to say Mu Myung is the real demon and the stranger was a shaman trying to stop her. God. So meanwhile, the wounded young Sam receives news that Oh Seong Bok has killed his family. So Jong-gu's partner has killed his family. So killing the stranger clearly didn't do anything. So Hyojin now disappears. While searching for her, Jonggu meets and this is the now we're in the final half hour where everything ramps up. Yeah, okay. Jonggu meets Mumia. So he's running around the village at night being like uh, like Hyojin, where are you? Where are you? And he runs into Mumyung who claims the stranger is still alive and she has set a trap for him. So she's like, God. "No, no, no. The stranger's the demon. I've set a trap for him and you have to you have to trust me." And not go and try and help your daughter or everyone you love will die. Uh, yeah, and, okay. and he's like, well, where's my daughter? And she's like, she's at home. And he's like, I was at home. Like, I didn't see her. And she's like, she's just returned home. But you have to wait till the cock cries three times 
or else everyone you love will die. Mm. And so, so here's this like bumbling, incompetent idiot just trying to save his daughter and the anguish, the wailing in his face as he's just like, but, but like, like, what do I, and, he, and he's like, I just want to know, are you a ghost or a real? And she's like, what does it matter? And he's like, I want to know if I can trust you. And she's like, why does that matter if you trust me or not? Just know, you just have to trust me. And he almost goes and she grabs him by the hand. Um, and we don't know whether he feels her grab her or not. Because the whole way through, it's like, you know, yeah. remember this, this, this phrase from the start where it's like, you know, are you a, like, you know, are you a ghost if you have flesh and blood? Now, there's also, I just want to point out as well, it's not mentioned in here, obviously, for copyright reasons, but there's an amazing quote before this where John Goo is basically like, to the shaman, he's like, why my daughter? Like, why is this demon attacking my daughter? Mm. And the, the shaman goes, have you ever gone fishing before? And no. John Goo's like, yeah. And he's like, well, it's the same thing. It's like, he's just putting out his bait and seeing what he catches which is a great metaphor for like unexplained death, right? It's like there's no rhyme or reason to this demon. It's just catching people. And if it catches them, that's it, right? Meanwhile, before, like while he's here with Moo Myung, he goes, why my daughter? Again, he asks, why my daughter? And he's like, because you've sinned. And he's like, what do you mean I've sinned? What have I done? And he's like, because you suspected the wrong person and then you killed them. And he's like, but she got sick before I killed the stranger. How does that doesn't make any sense? What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Okay. So, Jonggu then notices she's wearing the personal items of the victims, including his daughter's hairpin, and he's like, "Oh fuck." Okay. So, believing this to be the proof she is responsible, he dashes home before the third cry of the rooster. The moment he crosses his threshold, the floral trap that Moo Myung had set at the front door of the house immediately withers. <sighs> Young Yi Sam, meanwhile, so separately, yep. returns to the stranger's house with a sickle and a cross to try and take them out. He finds a secret cave nearby and the stranger alive inside, again, worshipping in this weird sort of altar with, like, flowers and photos of victims. And, you know, he, he's cut up, but he's real. Yeah, okay. He asks the stranger about his true form and says he thinks the stranger is the devil, but if he's wrong, he'll leave him in peace. The stranger then laughs and says, why do you think you'll be allowed to leave in peace? Oh, very good, yes. He then photographs Youngy Sam while asking why he still doubts the stranger's identity. As Youngy Sam stands frozen, the stranger transforms into a demon with red eyes. Oh, my God. Nice. This demon takes a photo of him again, right? Back home, John Goo finds... So, like, takes a photo of him is, I find, just such a strange anachronistic thing to do. So, it's it's part of uh, Korean folklore that I read. And excuse me if I got this wrong, but from the... Because after this film, I had to read a billion explainer articles to be like, what's going on? (laughs) So, in some, you know, Korean folklore... Yeah. It's it's disrespectful and also almost like soul stealing to take photos of the dead. And there's an implication yeah, okay. that part of this part of this demon's mo is to kill people and then steal their soul with a photograph. And if you remember, in the stranger's house before he burned all the evidence, there are all these photos of people, including photos, photos. of them after they yes. died. Yes, after they're dead. So back home. 
Jonggu finds Hyojin has brutally murdered their family. He tearfully calls out to her, but she doesn't respond. Oof. It is implied she ends up attacking him as well. So she sort of shows up at the door looking really scary. He's just calling out to her, and we get the feeling that she goes and attacks him as well. Oof. In the morning, Ilguang arrives and takes photographs of Jonggu's dead family as Hyojin sits in a trance. Returning to his car, he unintentionally drops a box filled with photos of the murdered villages that the stranger claimed to have burned. So this is kind of the proof that they were working together. As Jonggu lays dying, devastated by his family's death, he remembers happier times with his daughter and begins to smile, assuring her that he's a policeman and that he will always protect her. And that's how the wailing ends! I don't like the copaganda at the end, I must say. Like We are an anti-copaganda podcast. And I don't like just positioning it like, don't worry, cops are great. And I'm one, so it'll be fine. That is, that is a jarring note for your big homie. Uh, and probably why I'll get put in Gryffindor for raising it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, Gooey, like, I feel like that was extremely confusing in the audio retelling. But I also feel like it was very atmospheric and gripping. And so if we draw the distinction between this is the Drake and Kanye distinction that I think you were drawing of like one of them is a hit maker and one of them is an artist, you know, like if we think of this as a, as an artistic work that generates a response, I think it's a massive success. If we think about it as a plotted history end to end, um, you know, revelation of a didactic message or something, then it's not quite as clearly that. How were you left? Were you left unsettled? Were you left uns- upset? I'm sort of reflective. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you finish something not understanding what really happened but loved it anyway. So I had that. And then I did a lot of research on it. My God, the the explainers of this film mm. will take a long time. I, I probably don't have time to get into it. But suffice to say... The shaman and the stranger were working together. The stranger probably used to be a monk or a professor or something, but at some point got overtaken by a demon. Uh, Mu Myong is the villager's, like, I guess, guardian angel. She's both a person but also a spirit who protects people. And because she was protecting them from the stranger, the stranger enlisted the fake shaman as a way to get through her protections. Yeah, okay. So, so, so there's a lot of stuff happening that you, you'd only see on second or third or maybe would never see unless you read these explainers. But undoubtedly, yes, Drake is Squid Game. Kanye is the Wailing. <laughs> Uh, I like Kanye, like, like, you know, even, even when he's supporting Trump, even all the horrible things he says about slavery, you know, he still makes great arts and the whaling is definitely, you know, art with a capital A. Shag, happy birthday. It's so fun to come and share it with you. Surprise. Yay, thank you. For anyone interested in that Spooko merch, uh, it took me ages to get and I only had eight made up. So it's a no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Please don't ask me about it. No is the answer. (laughs) Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?